are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Well, good evening. It's good to gather with you. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to be able to meet you after our gathering today. Uh, It's just always a joy to open up God's word. So before we dive into it, we'd love just to spend some time in prayer. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you this, this evening, this afternoon, and just give you thanks that we can even do that. God, that we can come before you. God, we're grateful that we are known by you, inside and out. Every aspect of our life is known by you. But God, we also have the ability to know you, to know who you are, your character and nature, to have a relationship with you because of Christ and what he's done for us. And so God, as we open up your word now, as we continue to talk about what the kingdom of God is and how that impacts our lives, God, I pray that you would help us to focus our mind and our heart on you this afternoon. God, that we would receive what you want to speak to us, how you want to encourage us, how you want to challenge us. God, I pray that you'd refresh our souls as we gather today, that you'd give us a a fresh view of the hope that we have because of who you are and what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do. So God, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd work in and through this time for your glory and for our good. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't like running. It's probably not hard to tell. But occasionally when I go to the gym with Edward, he makes me run. So to get through that one grueling mile that he makes me run on the treadmill, I have to come up with a game in my mind of how I'm going to make it through that mile run. And because it's on a treadmill, it tells you how far you've gone and how much further you have to go. And so I'll get to, you know, 0.2 miles and think, oh man, I'm almost to 25%. 25%, 25%. I keep telling myself that over and over again. And then I get to maybe 0.6 miles and think, oh, now I'm more than halfway. We're almost to the end of this terrible no good idea that he made me do. Now, some of you like running and you don't always run on treadmills. Maybe you run outside. And a lot of times when you run outside, you may do the same kind of thing of knowing, well, how much further do I have to go? I'm at this street. So I know once I get to this next street or this next landmark, I'm at this point in my run, I'm almost to the end of it. It's a creative way to endure and finish the run. At least it helps me because I don't really like running. Now, sometimes we hear in life that life is, is called a, a run or a race. We say phrases like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Even the Apostle Paul uses running a race as a metaphor for living our life with Jesus in this world. But the run that we're on in life is often difficult and challenging. It's long. And we don't always know when the end is going to come. We don't know where we're at on this journey and on our race And so in similar ways, we can start to get creative with trying to endure. How are we going to persevere? How are we going to keep going? And so we play mental games in our head. Things like, well, it's almost Thursday, and Thursday's almost Friday, which means it's pretty much the weekend. Or maybe if you're a little bit further along in life, you're thinking, man, I only have 10 more years till I'll only have five more years till I can retire. Or maybe you think, man, it's been a long week, a long day. If I can get just through the next few hours, then I can finally have some peace and quiet 
and enjoy that glass of wine I've been looking forward to. Or on a more serious note, we can start to think stuff like, man, I only have one more treatment before I'm halfway through my regimen of treatments. We come up with creative ways, whether it's the weightier and messier things of life or just those mundane moments. But sometimes, again, in life, we don't know when something's going to come to an end. We're in that season right now in the midst of COVID. We don't know when all of this is going to be over or done, if and when that'll actually be. I remember back in March when all of this kind of came to bear and everything got shut down and the governor of Virginia said, hey, you have to stay at home. You can't go anywhere until June the 10th. And I thought, June the 10th? Like, that's forever away. We're never going to get, how are we going to make it through these next 10 weeks doing that? And here we are months and months later, not sure when all of this is going to wrap up. I mean, can we acknowledge that life is challenging, that it's difficult, that it's hard on many levels in many different ways? But what if there's a more lasting, a more certain hope that can help you to endure? Instead of having to come up with these mental exercises in your head, what if there's a hope that isn't dependent on you? A hope that isn't dependent on other people. A hope that isn't dependent on your circumstances. Well, there is. And it's the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was Jesus' most favorite subject to teach on, to talk about. And it's it's, it's something we need to help understand because a lot of us wrestle with and have difficulty really understanding what is the kingdom of God and how does the kingdom of God impact my life here now. Does it actually impact my life? And so that's why we're doing this sermon series called Kingdom Citizens. If we are in Christ, we're citizens of this kingdom of God, but but what does that mean? How does that impact my day-to-day? We've defined the kingdom of God as the redemptive reign of King Jesus. The redemptive reign of King Jesus. Begun at his birth, fulfilled at his return, and enjoyed by his people. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is king where Jesus is ruling and reigning in gentleness and in grace in and through the lives of his people. The kingdom of God is present now. We heard about that over the last two weeks, that Jesus is king now. We can pray prayers like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mark shared with us last week how the kingdom of God spreads now, and it gives us an opportunity to respond to the invitation Jesus gives us to enter into that now. But we also know at the very same time, though the kingdom of God is present now, it isn't fully here yet. We know that because we wrestle with sin, our own and others. We know that because suffering remains. But one day, one day, we know that that will come to an end. And so we have a hope in that. And that's where the good news of the kingdom of God comes into play. Though the God of this age is continuing to accuse us and attack us and assault us, the good news of the kingdom tells us that though the fullness of the kingdom isn't here, yet one day it will be because Jesus will come again. And it's that reality, it's that truth, that the kingdom of God is not only today, but tomorrow, that it's in the future that gives us a hope to endure. A hope to endure the messiness and the mundaneness of life now. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on in our time together this afternoon. To do that, as you heard Tom read, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 11. And I have to say, for me personally, during a kind of a wearying week personally, and even nationally, lots of challenging things going on in our country right now, spending time in this text, studying it this week, has been water to my soul, refreshing, and I hope it will be for you as well. 
because many of you are walking through challenges and difficulties right now. Maybe it's your own sin that you're wrestling with and finding yourself fighting against. Maybe you feel apathetic in life right now. Maybe you're dealing with sickness or suffering in some way. A lot of us are just overwhelmed in life. Some of you had a hard time even just getting here this afternoon, wondering if you should even show up. Others of you maybe had difficulty with your kids today, with behavior or other things that are going on. All of us have a lot of things on our minds at the moment. You know what? The world is constantly offering you solutions to all those things. The world is is telling you how you can make it through life if you buy these things and do these things and look this way and take this kind of supplement or these kinds of medicine, then you'll be able to endure. But everything the world offers to you at the end of the day, it's empty and fleeting. So I need you to listen today. I need you to listen whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not. I need you to listen for the sake of your heart and your mind and your soul. I need you to listen to the words that John declares in this text, this wonderful picture, this wonderful picture of your glorious future if you are in Christ. See, if you believe what he says and you keep it before you, it can provide an enduring hope that no matter what comes your way, it can refresh you and strengthen you to actually finish the race. So let's dive into Revelation chapter 11 and may God bless the preaching of his word. You know, Revelation isn't a book that probably a lot of us spend a whole lot of time in. It's at the end of the New Testament, and John's writing this letter, but it's full of symbolism. And so because it's full of symbolism, at times it can be confusing or even difficult to understand. And so before we dive into this text, we need to be reminded of what the purpose of the book of Revelation is. John's writing this letter not so much as a predictive prophecy of what's going to happen in the future. John's writing the book of Revelation as an encouragement to the church. He's writing it as an encouragement to provide hope for people in the midst of difficult times. John wrote this around 100 AD, and his immediate audience were bewildered Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted and ridiculed and Uh, fought against and marginalized in culture and by the government and their neighbors because of their allegiance to Jesus, because they were seeking to follow him. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, John says this, I, John, your brother and partner, and here's how he's a partner with you and me, our brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He's trying to encourage us to have patient endurance, to have hope. So that means the goal of the book of Revelation is hope. Hope to patiently endure, but to endure because of the one who is and who was and who is to come. So that brings us to our text today, and it's kind of a pinnacle moment in the book of Revelation. The scene unfolds with a blast of a trumpet. Look at verse 15, the beginning of verse 15. John writes this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, And there were loud voices. There are trumpet blasts happening all throughout this book. The book of Revelation is a way of announcing different things. Something important is about to happen. And when this seventh and final blast of the trumpet comes, it brings wonderful news. Now loud voices rise up, it says. Now if you know me, you know that I have four kids, ten and under. We live on a street and in a neighborhood that on our street and the street uh, next to us, there's probably 35 or 40 kids that live on our street. 
And oftentimes they're running around our house or outside of our house, and it can get really loud really quick. But what John is talking about here is not kind of that cacophony of noise where it's undiscernible about what's being said. This is a loud voice that's being raised up in unison to declare something bold and important. Look at the rest of verse 15. When these loud voices are raised up, they say this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So what's going on here? We have to understand that in time and place, in life right now, there's a conflict that's going on. There's a conflict between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And we know that, we experience that in our own lives. We, we talked about this over the last two weeks, that we find ourselves in this place where there's difficulty and challenge going on. And the kingdom of the world is wherever Jesus isn't king. Now that can come by way of the kingdom of darkness, where Satan is at work to deceive you, to divide, to discourage you, to distract you. Or it can come by way of the kingdom of self where you seek to independently run your own life as your own kind of self-sovereign, thinking, okay, Jesus maybe calls me to do these certain things, but I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. I want it to be about my will. I want to achieve what I want to achieve, and I don't care what God has to say about that. So we can assert ourselves in that way. It's rebellion. Wherever rebellion is present, that's where we see the kingdom of this world. Wherever someone or something asserts itself against the reign and rule of Jesus, wherever someone or something besides Jesus is sitting on the throne of your life, ruling and reigning. See, rebellion against Jesus is the currency of the kingdom of this world. And there's fruit that comes from that. The fruit of rebellion is suffering. The fruit of rebellion is separation. Separation from God, where we can't be in a relationship with Him because of His holiness and our rebellion against Him. It's separation relationally with one another, that we have difficulty in relationships with one another. The fruit of this rebellion is division and things like disease, difficulty in every form, death. But here, do you see what John's saying? Here, John's telling us it's finished. The conflict is over. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. And Jesus' reign isn't temporary. No, he says it doesn't have a, a beginning and an end. He's come to reign forever and ever and ever. Now, this is huge. Because here's what John's trying to tell us just in this one line, this declaration that these loud voices bring. It's that the kingdom of this world and all of its darkness in all of its opposition, in all of the oppression that it brings, in all of its false promises and empty commitments to you, none of it lasts. It will fall and it will fail. And the fullness of the king and his kingdom will come. His perfect kingdom full of glory and grace. So this declaration is made by these loud voices, but then in verse 16 we see a rightful response to that. And it's a worshipful response. Look at verse 16 with me. In verse 16, it says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. When you and I experience shock and surprise in our life, we can sometimes say things like, Man, that floored me. I'm floored by that. 
Well, what we see happening here after this massive declaration that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God is these 24 elders that are sitting around the throne of God in close relationship, close proximity to them. When they hear this declaration after the seventh trumpet, they literally are floored. They're put on their faces, throwing themselves down in worship before God because of this declaration that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God. And in their worship, they give amazing details about what happens when the fullness of the kingdom comes. Look at verses 17 through 19. They say, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. They began by giving thanks. But did you guys notice how they describe God, how they reference God? And when I thought about this this week, it just blew me away. It encouraged me so much. They say the one who is and the one who was. God has been addressed throughout the book of Revelation three times up to this point, but he's called in all of those instances the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. But here, he's addressed only as the one who is and who was. Not too long ago, Amy's parents were coming into town to come for a visit for my son Isaac's birthday. And so the kids knew that that was happening, so we kept saying they they were coming, they are coming, they will come. But when they arrived and they were at our house, we didn't have to keep saying they will come, they are going to be here, because they were there and they were experiencing their presence. It had already happened. In the same way, there's no need for John or for these 24 elders to keep talking about Jesus coming again because now he's the one who's taken up his great power. He's the one who's begun to reign. This risen, redemptive king is here and the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God. It's amazing. But check this out. This is so sure and so certain that John can write about this Even though it hasn't happened yet, he's looking forward to it, and he can write about it with such certainty that he uses past tense language. He says the kingdom has come. All these things have already taken place. I'm so confident in them. He says the nations raged. Well, the nations are raging right now. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? And we see that. We experience that. We see rebellion all over the place in our world at this very moment. But these worshiping elders declare that they did rage, but they don't any longer. Why? Because the wrath and judgment of God has come on those who rebel against him. How great is it going to be, church, when that day comes when the nations will not rage any longer? He says the dead are judged, both the righteous and the unrighteous, those who are in Christ and those who aren't yet in Christ. And he gives us two outcomes from that. He says eternal wrath is given to those who reject Jesus as king. And this is the just consequence, the right consequence for rebellion against God. God didn't create us to be independent and self-sufficient. We are creatures, not the creator. And so if we rebel against Jesus and we walk away from him and we try to be our own king and our own queen of our life, there's a consequence for that rebellion. And it's God's just 
wrath on us. But it isn't just wrath. There's also a great reward. A great reward is given to those that are saints and servants, those that are set apart by Christ and in Christ. Every person who has a holy fear of God, all who have come close to the King. And is it houses and cars that, that he hooks us up with? This isn't about material reward. If your hope for heaven is how great it's going to be because you get to go do all these fun things, then you're missing the point. No, the great reward is that you get Jesus that you get to be with him and see him face to face and experience all of his holiness and all of his greatness and him not smoke you as you stand in front of him. That's the reward we get. But I love that he says that it's both for the small and the great. It's both for the small and the great. This isn't for superstar Christians who get it right all of the time as if there was someone who could get it right all of the time. It isn't even for those who do big things for God as the world or culture would say. That's for those both small and great. It's consistent with the message of the gospel of grace. It's for anyone and everyone who's been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, whether well-known or unknown. Listen, you don't have to be impressive to make it into the kingdom of God. You come close to the king. It's grace upon grace. And as for the destroyers, those who dismantle or deface or defame God and his creation, they will be destroyed. It is finished. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God. And then John paints this final kind of picture for us that he sees the temple and he's able to see the Ark of the Covenant. And there's this, all these things going around, lightning and thunder and earthquakes. And, and but, what, but what we see there is the temple comes, but this isn't for sacrifice. It's, Jesus has already paid it all. We can see the Ark of the Covenant, but there's no separation between us and God because the curtain has been torn in two and we can be in relationship with Him now because Jesus rose again. What John's telling us here is this is another symbol. It's a symbol of God's abiding presence and power. It's a, a symbol of His unending mercy and His fierce justice of His mightiness and majesty of our awesome God. But I love that this isn't the only view of the coming kingdom that we see in the book of Revelation. It's not the only view of what's to come when Jesus comes again. We see all this fleshed out throughout this book. In Revelation chapter 18, it says that Babylon is being or will be destroyed forever. And this isn't talking about the Babylonian empire. It's talking about any kingdom that sets itself against God. All of them will be annihilated. Revelation chapter 19 says there's rejoicing in heaven and a song of hallelujah goes up and a declaration that salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And in Revelation 19, we see the rider on the white horse. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The one who's called faithful and true with the king of kings and lord of lords tattooed on his thigh as he rides in to victory. Revelation chapter 21, we see the new heavens and the new earth come. Our existence in the future isn't us being some kind of ethereal, weird, wispy ghost. There's a very physical world that's coming. It's a new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more sin and no more suffering and no more tears and no more sadness and no more difficulty and no more division and God will dwell with his people. In Revelation chapter 22, it says there is no longer anything that's accursed. And there'll be no need for light or, or the fabrication of light because the glory of God will shine so brightly we won't need anything else to illuminate our world because God's glory will. 
This is where we see the redemptive reign of King Jesus on full display, where Jesus reigns over the earth and all who are in it. And Jesus' reign is redemptive because he brings an end to rebellion. Jesus' reign is redemptive because he restores everything that sin destroyed. Every wrong that's been done, every act of injustice, every insult or betrayal that you've experienced or done, every ache and pain, every disease, every broken bone, every broken body, every broken heart, all of it is crushed forever. And everything is redeemed. Everything is restored. Hallelujah, we can shout out that the long-awaited kingdom of King Jesus has come. And it's so sure and it's so certain that John can write, it has come, it's done, it's finished, I know it's going to happen. And in and through Jesus, all things are made new. Man, I love this text. I love this picture that John gives us a glimpse of, that he shows us what's going to happen in this text and throughout the book of Revelation. I love it. It gets me fired up. But how, but how does this help us right now? How does this help us in our life in this moment? Because there's difficulty we have to endure. There's challenges that we face. There's a battle going on right now in the midst of our world. We still experience brokenness in our lives, in our world, even within us. As followers of Jesus... A good work has been begun in us, but it hasn't been brought to completion yet. We find ourselves in conflict. As much as we can get excited about the kingdom of God, if we're honest, we're very much tempted to find our hope still in the kingdom of this world. How does the truth of this text help us when the job doesn't work out again? How does the truth of this text help us when our kids disobey? Or walk away from the faith altogether? How does this text help us when you and your spouse find yourselves growing distant from one another? How does the truth of this text help you when you're feeling lonely? When you fall into that same temptation and sin over and over and over again? How does the truth of this text help us when the election turns out or doesn't turn out the way that you want it to? How does the truth of this text help us when the doctor calls and says the cancer is back? How does this text help us when anxiety and depression greet you with a smack in the face almost every single morning? How does this text help us when you find yourself running a race when you don't know when the end is going to come? You don't know when Jesus is going to come back again. How does this truth that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God, how does it help you with all of that? It helps you, it helps me, because it gives you hope to patiently endure. It gives you hope that this world that we find ourselves in and all the difficulty and challenge we experience isn't all there is. And that a world more glorious and more wonderful is coming. It gives you hope to keep running and keep moving forward. Remember, John is writing this book to struggling Christians. Are you struggling? Do you ever find yourself struggling? He's writing to struggling Christians who are experiencing suffering and difficulty and are tempted to think, maybe I should stop following Jesus. It would be easier for me to just go along with the world. So he's writing to them and he's writing to us and he's declaring us over us over and over again 
that if you are in Christ, if you are united to Jesus by faith, listen to me, this place is not your home or your hope. This place is not your home or your hope. He's reminding us that things won't always be this way, that King Jesus really will come again to make all things new. But how can we have confidence in that? How can we know? I mean, we could read these words on, this, on these pages. How do we know that's actually going to, to come to fruition when we find ourselves in the midst of this mess right now? We can know, we can have confidence that this coming victory is real because it came through sacrifice. See, Jesus isn't a king who remains distant from you. He's not a king who's aloof to real life and the needs that his people experience. No, Jesus entered into the mess Jesus took on humanity. He came to us as one of us to rescue us. Our rebellion against God, it deserves death. It deserves separation from him. It deserves judgment. The reality is you can't fix that on your own. You can't remedy your situation on your own. And so in his humble humanity, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life of obedience before God. Something you and I aren't able to do. And he willingly went to a cross to die in your place as a substitute for every act of rebellion in your life. Every moment of unbelief. But friends, Jesus didn't stay dead. Up from the grave, he rose again. And it's because Jesus is risen, it's because Jesus is alive that you can have confidence that he is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will come to do. When he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will make all things new. You can have confidence because our risen Christ says those things. When Jesus comes again, Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. So let me ask you, is that your confession now? Is that what you believe now, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King? Or do you find yourself still chasing after whatever the world would offer to you? Maybe outright rejecting Jesus, or maybe just giving some head nods to Jesus, trying to kind of keep your feet in both places. We see the end for you. The text says that if you're raging against the kingdom of God, then judgment is coming. But listen, that doesn't have to be the end for you. There is only one way to the kingdom of God, and that's by way of the king the one who willingly laid down his life for you. So listen, if you don't yet know Jesus, like actually know him, if you haven't actually placed your faith and your trust in him, I want to call you to do that today. To say nothing this world offers to me is really anything of hope or substance. I want to put all of my hope and all of my faith in Jesus, but not just to avoid hell, not just to avoid God's wrath, but to get a great reward, to be restored, to get Jesus. And for those of you that already call yourselves followers of Christ, I want to encourage you to keep following Jesus in hope. Stay on the narrow road that leads to life and to reward that leads to Jesus. See, eternal life, it's not about just salvation from hell. It's about life in the kingdom with the king forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be amazing. But while we wait for Jesus to come again, this world will continue to offer you solutions and shortcuts to endure this life, to finish this race. Solutions to your suffering and sin, distractions and pleasures to satisfy you. 
But what this text is showing you is that Jesus isn't just better than what the world offers you. Jesus is greater than what the world offers to you. Jesus alone is the overcomer. He alone is the one who's victorious over Satan, sin, and death. So brothers and sisters, when the truth of this text is glorious, that's gloriously displayed here, when it actually sinks in, when you really believe it and rest in the reality that everything awful and everything wicked and everything wrong will one day come to an end when Jesus comes again, it changes your perspective on the things you're walking through. It changes your experience here and now. It allows you to have hope and faith to believe that every difficulty that you experience in life, as real as those things are, as, as painful as they are, as confusing as they are, they really are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that one day we'll get to experience. See, when your heart and mind can rest in this truth, you can patiently endure any difficulty and any challenge and any discouragement that comes your way You can face them and persevere in the midst of them because your hope isn't here, but it's in the king and his coming kingdom. When the truth of this text resonates in your heart and sinks down deep in it, you can finish the race. And this has been fuel for my faith time and time again. When I find myself discouraged, when life is difficult, even maddening at times, when the turmoil of this world seems to be crushing all of us in every situation, in every way, when it's just the weight of it's on our back, when I feel weary from my own sin and the sin of others, when I feel tempted to walk away from Christ and to pursue the things of this world, I come back to this. And I remember that my King will come again. I remember that this place is not my home or my hope. I remember my glorious future, a future grace that I'll have in and through Christ, that it will be glorious and it will be great. But you know what? I also need to be reminded of this because there's often times where I don't remember it and I forget it and my faith is weak and it's lacking. My guess is that you also need to be reminded of it because there's moments and times where you also feel weak, not able to believe, you're weary, struggling to hope. We need each other to be reminded that the kingdom of God is not only today, but is tomorrow. And when it comes to its full fruition, it will never, ever end. It's why it's so important for us to be in community with one another. It's why it's so important to gather together on a weekly basis. We need to come and be reminded that we're not alone in this, that we have other brothers and sisters around us. It's why we sing songs of praise together. Because sometimes you're going to come and you're not going to want to sing. You're not going to be able to believe the words that are on the page in front of you. But you know what? Someone next to you has faith right now. And they're able to sing those songs for you and over you. And sometimes you're that person. You don't know that when there's another brother or sister that needs you to show up for them. They need to hear you singing. They need to hear about your faith in the coming kingdom because right now they're not believing it. We're running a race, but the joy, the joy and the grace of God is he gives us others to run the race with. And sometimes you need somebody to throw you on their back and carry you along the way a little ways. And sometimes you're that person, always continuing to persevere forward in hope. Listen, the goal of this text, the goal of this sermon is not to call you to walk around life now thinking everything's fine and acting like everything's okay with a big smile on your face. Kind of that happy, happy, joy, joy attitude. No, because the reality is the race that you're running and I'm running 
It can be wearying at times, but listen to me. If you are in Christ, one day, one day, there will be no more running, only resting. Only resting. Psalm 35 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And what a glorious day it'll be when Jesus cracks the sky and comes again and makes everything new. Friends, the kingdom of God sustains you in life, in all of life right now, because Jesus says to you now, come to me for rest. Come to me today and come to me tomorrow. Jesus is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. And if that isn't you today, if you're not brokenhearted, if you're not crushed in spirit, it'll be for, it'll be for, it will be you at some point in the future. So in that moment, where will you go? Will you come to the king of the kingdom for help and for hope? Or will you be tempted to find your hope in a false king, in a false kingdom that will never last and never satisfy? One day, one day, all that's sad will become untrue. And it will be a glorious day for God's people. But until that day, we have work to do as kingdom citizens now. Titus 2 tells us, that we are waiting for our blessed hope. We're waiting for the appearing and the return of Jesus, the one who redeemed us and is changing us and who has created us and made us to be zealous for good works. In other words, while we wait for Jesus to come again, he's calling us to spread the word of his kingdom. He's calling us to spread the influence of the kingdom until the king comes again so that other people might be rescued out of rage and receive a great reward and endure in hope. And that's what we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about in this sermon series. What do we do now in light of this hope we have? As kingdom citizens, you never are going to fit neatly into the categories that this world has created for you. And that's okay. Because again, this place isn't our home. But because that's true, that means that you can live both by faith and with hope and longing. Not governed by your fear or failure, not governed by the fear or failures of others, but governed by the hope we have in Jesus. So brothers and sisters, take heart. Be at peace. Be at peace. Look forward in hope and confidence. Keep running your race. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God where Jesus rules and reigns forever and ever and ever. And to that I say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to see the glorious inheritance we have in Christ and to patiently endure in hope as we wait for Christ to come again. God, help us not to be distracted by other things, the false promises of this world. Help us not to seek to find hope in anything besides Christ. And God, we need to help one another with that, so help us to be a faithful community that points one another to this future inheritance, this glorious hope we have when Jesus will come again. God, help us to be faithful kingdom citizens now to spread the word, your gospel of grace, that others might be rescued out of darkness and brought into light, transferred from the kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of your beloved son, our redeemer, who saved us. God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, refresh us now and help us to believe these words, not just today, but every day ahead. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. <laughs>